This is Boundless, and I'm Ed Blonsky. Everyone has a need, and I'm glad to share with you the one thing that can meet every single need. It is the love of Jesus Christ. On today's show, you will hear a message of love and hope, the very same love and hope that will meet all needs. The messages on Boundless have recently been given at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Hawthorne Woods, Illinois. If you happen to be in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, I would love to see you this weekend. You can go to the St. Matthew website to plan your visit at www.stmatts.net. That's www.stmatts.net. Now, here's today's message. Thanks for listening. Today we conclude this message series called Hard Conversations. And in this series, we looked at the hard conversation of baptism, that is, the questions of when we should baptize a person, and we also looked at why we should baptize a person. It got a little harder and messier with the next message, where I tackled marriage. Should we get married, or should we just live together? And I wanted to take on this particular theme of hard conversations, because Hard conversations tend to be real conversations. And with influences such as peers or the culture or social media, it's really easy to avoid the hard conversations, the real conversations. But Christians need to be ready for these hard conversations because when we engage in them, we will often find that in the hard conversation, we will have the opportunity for a gospel conversation. They can be challenging, but remember that the Holy Spirit has been promised to us to give us the words and to guide us in what we would say. Now, I saved the hardest conversation that a Christian can have in 21st century American culture for this particular weekend, and that is the conversation of being pro-choice or pro-life. Let's start this conversation at the beginning with pregnancy, because pregnancy is something we all have experience with. And by that, I mean that we were all born. For about nine months, our experience was that our moms were pregnant with us. And as I look at you today, and I'm sure and imagine this is true for most of you online as well, many of you have children, and either you or your spouse was pregnant with your child or your children. And most of us know someone who's been pregnant or maybe is currently pregnant. Most of you know that pregnancy, having a life, having a child is a life changing experience. Of course, until you actually experience it firsthand or secondhand, if you're a husband, you never realize just how much of a life-changing experience having a baby is. Parents, remember B.C., before children? You could fly off to Rome at a moment's notice. You never had the danger of walking on Legos in the middle of the night getting up for a drink of water. No 3 a.m. feedings. Life was, at the very least, 
different before you had children. I'd like us to consider, though, that not only is being pregnant and having a child a life-changing experience, pregnancy, having a child, is life itself. Remember how you felt when you first found out you were going to have a baby? That initial shock at the news? Even if you were expecting to become expecting, when you finally find out that you truly are expecting, shock hits the system. But then there's the joy. The joy of knowing that a life is growing inside you or inside your wife. The joy of knowing that you will be bringing a new life into the world. That can be when the fear sets in for many people. The fear of bringing a new life into the world. What kind of world are we bringing this new life? And will I be a good mom? Or will I be a good dad? Then there's the ultimate fear that comes with life, death itself. Part of the hard conversation is that for those of you who have lost a child, remember how you felt? Maybe remember how you feel? Because when you lose a baby, there's that fear that you did something wrong or that there was something wrong with you. Then there's the anger, the anger at death for taking your child, the anger at God for letting it happen, maybe just the anger, the unexplainable anger at nothing and everything all at once. And then that, prof that sense of profound loss that never really goes away. You never get over that. You just learn to live with the loss of a child. These feelings of shock, and joy, and fear, anger and loss? Why do we feel that way about a baby that is about to be born or has been born? Have you ever wondered? Well, the answer is because it is a life inside of you or your wife or your mom. It is a human life from conception. Heartbeat at six weeks, looks like a little tiny baby at 10 weeks. It is life inside. And we feel these emotions because on some level we are truly pro-life. We know that this is how life starts. This is how life started for us, and this is how life starts for our children. This is how we were created. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to take it out. There's some in the pew rack in front of you. Maybe you have an app on your phone that you'd like to open up, or maybe another window online. And I'd like you to just turn out to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to start, we're going to look at a couple different places in Genesis. But we're going to start here in verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us make man in what? In our image. God creates us in his image. And part of God's image is life and his love for life. Back up two verses. Verse 24. Whoop, it's still on the same page with my Bible. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, according to their kinds. And it was so. There is God. And what is he creating? Living creatures. What is he creating? Life. 
Next chapter, chapter 2, and we're at verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust, or the dirt, of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So here's another look, chapter 2, God creating things, and he's creating humans here. What does he put into the man's nose? The breath of life. And human beings became living beings. Once again, life is here. Now I'd like to, to um, pop over to chapter 9. We read it earlier. Uh, Bonnie read it earlier uh, from uh, Genesis. Genesis 9. And we're going to be looking at verse 5. Genesis 9, verse 5. Fine, there it is. My pages are sticking together. Genesis 9, verse 5. I'd like us to read this out loud together, if we could. Okay, together. Genesis 9, 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. In this text, we see just how much value God puts on human life the human life that he created. Easter is coming, and now is the time to plan to be a part of the Easter services at St. Matthew Lutheran. If you live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago or are planning a visit here, go to the St. Matthew website to find the service times that best fit your needs. www.stmats.net That's www.stmatts.net but if you're not in this part of the world, that's not a problem. All our worship services are streamed live on our website, as well as available 24-7 after the live stream. Again, go to www.stmats.net. That's www.stmatts.net. Now, back to today's message. So God is very much pro-life. There's a high value on human life. Now, I don't mean that God is pro-life in the way that it is defined in today's particular politically charged culture. Today, being pro-life or pro-choice is being desperately promoted by some to be the definition of where you stand politically. But in re it really isn't. Not really. Not originally. Consider the question. Why do some people consider themselves pro-choice? Well, I, I suspect that it's because they want to be known as someone for whom choices are important. Choices are vital, even a fundamental right. But for the most part, when we're talking about pro-choice, we are talking about abortion. And what choice is being sought out by those who consider themselves to be pro-choice. It is the choice to have an abortion or not. But what happens in an abortion? Well, the focus of the culture is that, well, a life, a, a, a choice has been made. A fundamental right to choose has been made. But the reality is that in an abortion, a life is ended. Well, the argument is then made, well, it's my body, my choice. Ah, uh, but that's the rub, isn't it? An abortion is not so much what happens to the mother's body as it is something that truly happens to the baby that is inside the mother. Now, I get right now that some of you are feeling a little uncomfortable 
Some of you may be feeling a stronger emotion than that. And I would say that, consider that the reason you're feeling this way is, after what I've just said, is because our culture has politicized being pro-life and pro-choice. And you know what politics does? It divides us. Now, I don't know if it was always this way, but it certainly is divisive today. And not only do politics divide us, but everything politicized causes anger and hatred. And who wants that? Satan wants that. Satan wants to divide us. Satan wants us to feel anger and hatred toward others. And that's why he slithered into the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis. He wanted to divide Adam from Eve and Adam and Eve from God. Let's take a look at Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and we're going to look at verse 5 in your Bibles. Genesis 3, verse 5, and I'd like us to read this, these words out loud together as well. Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will be like God. That's the temptation that Satan brings. That begs the question then, who can create life? Satan knows that. That's why he's tempting us with something that will cause us to think that we can be like God. But only God can create life, right? Here's a story that kind of illustrates that. One day a scientist decided that humanity had come such a long way Eh, we just no longer needed God. So the scientists walked up to God and said, God, we don't need you. We've come so far. We're at the point now where we can clone people, manipulate atoms, and build molecules and fly through space and do many other miraculous things. So why don't you just go away and mind your own business from now on? Well, God listened very patiently, very kindly to the man. And the, after the scientist was done talking, God said, well, very well. Before I go... Let's have a human-making contest, to which the scientists replied, okay, we can handle that. Ah, but God said, let's do this the way I did it originally. Let's go back to the way I did it with Adam. And the scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and he picked up some dirt. And God waved his finger at him, uh-uh-uh-uh, put that down. Go make your own dirt. This well-known scientist and atheist, Carl Sagan, is quoted as saying, to really make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. To be pro-choice is not a political position or statement. It is really buying into the temptation of Satan that makes you think you can be like God when it concerns life. It's that whole, you will be like God temptation. And I would also say that being pro-life is also not a political standing, but it ra rather it describes someone who seeks to follow God's ways when it comes to life. This human life is precious to God, and so it should be precious to us. When you look at the creation week in Genesis 1 and 2, the last thing God creates and creates nothing else after it is human life. In a sense, then, you could say that humans are the crown of God's creation. It shows us how much God loves us. Being pro-life, then, is following God's ways, who made it a point 
not only to create life, but also to save life. In the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, two prophets, God, through them, raised two people who were dead. In the New Testament, the apostles Peter and Paul also were used by God as instruments to raise the dead. And of course, there's Jesus, who raises three people from the dead in, during his earthly ministry, and of course, <laughs> raises himself from the dead as well. He is raised from the dead because God values human life. God loves life. God loves us. So much so that he gives us a choice to love him because without a choice there can be no love. But we choose to reject God. We choose to reject his love. We are actually then, when we sin, choosing death. But here's the really good news. Even when we choose to reject God and his love by sinning, God doesn't stop loving us. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to conquer death by dying on the cross. And through Jesus' death on the cross, God forgives our sins. And through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, God gives us new life. Because God loves life and God loves us. So we also should love life, which means we should be pro-life when we see the need of someone who is facing an unexpected pregnancy by meeting that need with the love of Jesus and doing what we can to help them. We could help them find godly Christian adoption options, or maybe we could meet that need by sharing the love of Jesus, by helping them to raise the child. Being pro-life also means that but we help the ill. Those who are sick, we can drive them to doctor's appointments, we can visit them in the hospital, we can provide a meal for them. Being pro-life also means helping the aged, offering assisted living care if possible. And being pro-life is to help those who are at life's end to know the sure and certain hope and love of Jesus Christ. Being pro-life is not just being anti-abortion. Being pro-life is to help people Know that God loves life from conception to life's final breath. And God sent Jesus so that life's final breath in this world only leads to eternal life in heaven for those who know Jesus as their Savior. Being pro-life is to share the gospel with Jesus, to sit with people, to talk with people, to pray with them. It isn't about politics. It is about following Jesus. It is about taking Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 to heart and putting it into effect in our lives. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, is deep in the Old Testament, and if you are reading through the Bible, you're trying to read through the entire Bible, rarely will a person ever get there unless God really motivates them to read, because by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you're really discouraged. But these words are so beautiful. God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Choose life that you and your offspring may live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message on Boundless. I hope that today's message brought you the love and hope that will meet your need. I'm the pastor at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Hawthorne Wood, Illinois. 
And at St. Matthew, we see that there is boundless need all around us that can be met with the boundless love of Jesus so we can all live with boundless hope. For more, go to our website, www.stmats.net. That's www.stmatts.net. There you will find more content and resources that will give you the boundless love of Jesus. If you are in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, I would love to see you this weekend. You can go to the St. Matthew website to plan your visit. In the meantime, find us on Instagram at St. Matthew Hawthorne Woods. There is no E in Hawthorne, by the way. And we're also on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening to Boundless. Remember, the answer to all need is Jesus, who is love and brings hope.